Hey everybody, and welcome back to Ukrainianish, where we're exploring war, identity, and victory. Alright, so today we thought we would focus on a really influential community and organization in Ukraine, which is PLOST. Founded in 1911 or 1912, depending on who you ask, PLOST is Ukraine's national scouting organization, which encourages cultural awareness, skill building, and patriotism. As Ukraine's history progressed, PLOST evolved into a very, very resilient force, providing leadership, especially during occupation and wartime. Some of the most notable members of Ukrainian society have been members of PLAST, including Stepan Bandera, Ulyana Suprun, Viktor Yushchenko. So a lot of really influential, really important, powerful people have been members of the PLAST community, which I think speaks to its importance and speaks to its role in Ukrainian identity. And with that quick introduction, we want to introduce today's interviewees, Sofia and Dmitro, who are active members of the PLAST community to discuss PLAST's role in Ukrainian identity and statehood. So, Sofia and Dmitro, welcome to the podcast. Tell us about who you are, your ties to PLAST, and your history with the group. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for having us. My name is Sofia Yusupovich. I've been with PLOST ever since I was a kid. I joined first as five, as a five-year-old to Novatstvo, which is the youngest group within PLOST. Uh, and after that, I was able to grow with the organization through the ranks um, and then continue on as being a Vakhovnitsya, which is basically the counselor uh, to work with other kids and youth as part of the organization. And then more so today, I'm a member as more of a senior member in one of the groups uh, called Knyheni. It's what we we have different names for the for the groups uh, in particular uh, across uh, the various countries in Ukraine, Canada, the U.S. and so on. So it's been a great journey so far. And I've been with PLAST as long as I can remember. And Dmitra, what about you? Um, so my name is Dutka, I joined PLAST a little later, so I was around 13 or 14. Um, ever since then, I've probably been a part of around 10 to around 10 ish camps where I've either been like the head counselor or the commandant, which is basically like the organizer. Uh, and then I've also done a few tenureships on the PLAST Canada board as the representative for STPs or which are basically anyone's from the age of 18 to 35. And then I've also done uh, my second tenureship on PLOS Toronto Council. And then still active and still kind of do my weekly meetings with kids every single Wednesday. Yeah, so as leaders in the PLOS community, how has PLOS helped shape and preserve Ukrainian culture abroad? Um, I think PLAST in general, it almost helps hold the diaspora together. So over the years, there's been a, like a number of Kveli and every single person that does come over brings over what they can. So they kind of bring over their, their PLAST spirit. So that kind of creates like a home base. And then throughout the years, it's always added and it grows and grows and grows. Um, it's, it's also a lot easier to stay, to stay active if you do have a diaspora at hand. Uh, so say if you move the yellow knife, uh, it's a lot tougher to kind of keep your grassroots. It's a lot harder because there's a lot less people that are Ukrainian uh, and that kind of things. A lot of the events also that are like Ukrainian ba- are like based, whether it's bands or dances or Malankas, which is like a New Year celebration that, that happens every year. There's often a lot of Plastunia that are involved in planning it and, and uh, I guess, organizing it. 
Uh, it's also easy to sign your kids up uh, because that diaspora has grown so big. And throughout the years, you grow through it. You, you gain a lot of good things through it for life, not just like scouting, like starting a fire, but also just like how to be a leader, how to run things, how to organize things. Uh, and then what Sophia had touched upon earlier, uh, there are these coolings that are, the older people can join after you, you turn 18. Uh, and that kind of holds you in place for the rest of your life rather than kind of just doing scouts from the age of 5 to 18 and you kind of graduate and that's it. Like I'm also part of one that's called Wolf Gulak, which is a werewolf. Uh, we're in like eight or nine different countries. I run and represent the ones that are from 18 to 35 as well. Uh, there's like two to 300 of us. So, for example, if I go to the States, there's somebody to stay with. If I go to Germany, there's somebody to stay with. And it kind of keeps that knit, tight-knit community together. I'll just quickly build on that, but I agree with everything Mitra said. And I think also just in terms of um, how the teachings that we teach the kids that we work with, but then also the things and the events that we organize ourselves um, definitely are rooted in the culture and the history of Ukraine and Ukraine. Um, and it's something that we continuously go back to, to try and ensure that there's always that element of Ukraine and what is happening currently, what happened in the past. Um, the idea of always learn from the history and learn from the past to not repeat the same mistakes. Uh, that is definitely something that is very much at the core of PLOST and continuously building on what has happened. Yeah, definitely. What role has PLOST historically played in the shaping of national identity and Ukrainian statehood? It's obviously a very major role. So so tell us a little bit more about how that happened. For sure. PLOST as a core or at its core was built on the three pillars of history, culture, and religion, uh, Christianity in our particular case. And it is something that has been transferred over through the generations, regardless of how it may have been shaped, morphed, adjusted to a more modern uh, diaspora, Ukraine, the world in general. But it is something that is continuously guiding the people who are as who are part of PLAST, um, and then the people who are working with uh, PLASTUNE, so people who are in PLAST. Um, it is something that is at the core of those who are in Ukraine. So PLASTUNE who are in Ukraine um, share very similar values to each other of, you know, we have to defend, we have to continuously remind others of who we are, what we stand for, what that means, and so on. And, the, and I don't mean this in the sense of in your face, it's more of just who people are and how they present themselves. Um, if you walk around, you may have uh, Trezub on you, which is the uh, Ukrainian symbol for freedom. Uh, if you go to a sports game and someone who is a Ukrainian player, a part of the team that's playing, you bring your flag just to represent your support. It's the little things like that that I find people who are part of PLAS are even more active about. Um, and with that actually mentioning, you know, with the current situation and the invasion of Ukraine right now, uh, a lot of the people or a lot of the defenders on the front lines are Plastone. And we have at this point lost dozens, uh, those who are defending and who have given the ultimate sacrifice, um, who have been either injured or killed in battle. And a lot of them are people who are Plastone, who grew up with these ideas uh, of 
standing up for Ukraine, remembering our history, remembering our ancestors, um, and remembering that this isn't something that's new, that we have to continue to tell the world of, you know, this isn't a war that started in 2022 or 21 or 2014. It's something that is generational through, through many, many, many centuries. Absolutely. And that kind of ties back to what I was going to say a bit earlier um, about how, I mean, when you go to the Lachakivsky Cemetery in Lviv, you see so many Plast flags. Like, you see how influential Plast has been in these soldiers' lives. And I think that Plast as a symbol of, of independence and patriotism and almost this way of thinking and this way of being a patriot, uh, I think that really rings true in Ukraine right now. Um, and the impacts of PLAS are really being shown through this war. Absolutely. Dintro, was there anything you wanted to add or should we move on? Uh, she hit everything on the button. Great, yeah. Um, yeah, so how has PLAS changed over time to adapt to circumstances of different time periods? Um, obviously in Ukraine's independence, brief period of independence, um, in the beginning of the last century um, and during the war now, how has PLAS adapted to that and uh, impacted that? Um, so I'll give you a little backstory. PLAS was started in 1911, 1912. That's always been a debate. It depends when our first oath or the, the first actual like programming of PLAS started. Um, but it used to be a very secretive thing that you couldn't practice because you're under Soviet control. Uh, so a lot of things were... Um, kind of done underground or, or, or in basements and in churches. It's actually interesting. One of my mom's uh, great uncles was in the first like plus babysitting or like, like the whole baby thing, or I guess groups. Uh, and she showed me a picture and, and he had a tie on from like 1913. I was pretty amazed. I had no idea. Um, but through times it's, it's, it's kind of grown to this um, very proud organization because in previous years, we haven't been able to actually like do what we wanted to do because uh, you're suppressed and you're kind of wanted to be put into a different way. Uh, but now it's, it's a very flourishing organization because everybody that is a part of it has grown up with the history, whether it's with PLOST or it's with your grandparents or mother or father telling you about how, how in previous years PLOST was. Uh, so now it's a very uh, proud, like even for like, like we have a Bloor Fest and there's a massive group of us that are like scouts. And usually being a scout isn't like the coolest thing in the entire world. No one really like puts up their hand really if they're like, yes, I'm a boy scout or I'm a like a girl scout. It's like now it's like Plast is almost its own separate thing of scouts because it's almost cool to be Plastoon. Uh, you're a lot more prouder of it. Um and that's a lot of what has happened in previous years. And in Canada, of course, we have a free country. So we can show, express, uh, run the camps we want, run the like the workshops and all that kinds of things. Uh, and then with the current invasion, um, a lot more Ukrainians, not only that only live in Ukraine, but also that lived across Europe are starting to either move to different European countries or come across North America in the States or Canada. Um, so the numbers here um, have 
doubled or tripled in a lot of the cities. So for example, like Ottawa used to have, I believe, 10 kids across 5 to 18. I think now they're at like 45. Calgary is the same. It's more than tripled. Um, and here we have seen what I say a lot of um, a lot more parents and elders that aren't actually like have kids involved that do want to come back and hold on to their roots and help the next kind of generation move through the current times. Because a lot of these kids are having a, a really tough time trying to, um, I guess, live in, in our culture because you're brought up in a different way. Um, and it's kind of really cool to see different from other, even people that are not plus that want to become plus just to kind of help the next generation stand on their feet per se. And Sophia, if you have anything to add, you probably have a lot of points. That was perfect. That was perfect. No. Okay, great. So then we'll move on to our next question. What is the significance of PLOST in bringing together Ukrainians abroad? I say that with everything that Mitra has said and actually building on that, I say that we've now entered this exchange program era almost of we have Ukrainians who are plus one, who are part of PLOS coming to Canada, coming to the US, Germany, across Europe and so on. And then we have people from said countries also going to Ukraine less so now because of the invasion. But at the same time, actually, I take that back because now there is this, dare I say, trend of saying, you know what, I want to go. It's safe enough in certain areas where I can go and there is a way of, of getting there. And I want to see what it's like. I want to go and learn from the people who are there. I want to bring in aid. I want to uh, you know, meet with people, see how they're doing, see what their needs are, and then bring that back to Canada, bring that back to wherever I'm from um, and continue working through that. So with that comes this exchange of ideas, resources, uh, connections, networks, and so on. And all of a sudden you become, and obviously the digital world helps with that significantly because all of a sudden you become this community of, I never actually met someone in person with Sonia and Naomi, you case in point, we never actually met in person, but now we know of each other and we have spoken, we know when to turn to each other if there's ever, you know, a similar project that we want to work on and so on. And that continues to bring in this community. The significance of PLOST and that, and Mitra mentioned this already, is that when you are traveling and when you are going somewhere, you can reach out to a fellow PLOST member and say, hey, I need a couch to sleep on. Can you can you spare your couch for me, please? Um, and most most times, people will say yes. Um, and then you get to get to know each other and find what your common backgrounds are and communities and, and networks and so on. And, and again, just the cycle continues. Um, but this this exchange program also continues to push forward Ukraine as a country, um, as a community, because a lot of the people who come to Canada will see what the big cities are like, what the smaller towns are like, uh, what they like, what they don't like about it, whether it's the use of technology, whether it's the uh, government structures and so on. And then they are able to bring this back to Ukraine and say, you know, our system is better or maybe it's lacking and we need to update it a little bit based on what I've seen abroad. Um, and this was always one of the key I guess, uh, benefits of PLOS or any 
exchange program, I'm using air quotations here, um, that are similar because it was this constant exchange of experiences. Um, and today we are seeing it adjust a little bit uh, given the circumstances, but it's also continuing to build up the sense of, okay, if I wasn't as active before, now I really want to be active. Now I really want to go visit Lviv, Kriveri, Kiev, Bila Tarkva, and so on. Those are small townships across uh, Ukraine. Um, and I want to do that now, and I want to be a bit more involved. Yeah, I think to Sophia's point, there's, um, in PLAST, I think, but also more broadly, there's this almost sense of volunteer tourism, in a way, um, where there are people coming from abroad with connections to Ukraine or looking for connections in Ukraine um, who want to help, who want to exchange ideas, who want to inspire or be inspired. And so I definitely see that as kind of a prominent, um, almost like event happening in Ukraine right now. Um, But again, to Sophia's point, it brings in a lot of new ideas, a lot of new perspectives, uh, which I think is just creates a learning experience for everyone. So I think it's really valuable. Yeah, I was just going to say the the volunteer tourism is actually a great way of putting it, um, especially because now we see communities in diaspora, and I'll speak to Canada in, in particular, when it comes to financial aid um, and being able to bring in resources for those who need them on the front lines, whether it's humanitarian aid, whether it's something else, um, we are able to use our resources here and through the connections that we have in Ukraine, we are able to create this almost direct line of whatever it is that they need and just be able to provide it through shipping or through this, what you said, as as, um, volunteer tourism. Um, It's definitely a more streamlined process now. Is there anything you want to add? Pretty pretty, uh, well-versed individuals here. So for our last question, we ask this question to everybody that we interview because um, we think it's a really key kind of aspect to how we explore, what we explore on the podcast. Um, but what does being Ukrainian mean to you? Um, it's a tough question, but for me, it's been different throughout the years. Um, it's different for me. So my mom is born in Lviv and came over in 1991. And my tata was born in Winnipeg, where the diaspora was arguably bigger than Toronto's at the time. Um, So I'm one and a half generation, which is kind of odd to see. Uh, And for me, I grew up doing Ukrainian dancing, Ukrainian soccer, Ukrainian school on Saturdays, even though we spoke, wrote, read, wrote everything at home. I have two boxes that are still kicking and they are full blown. Here's a Ukrainian book. Let's sit down and read it. That was my whole life, which is very different to a lot of my friends. So I almost kind of grew up like, oh, I just want to be English. I just want to be English. Um, and that changed a lot. And the, it was a large part for PLOS just because like it got me more into the like the community. Uh, but now, as an example, I've got one trizub on my neck. I wear one trizub on my finger. I've got a trizub tattoo on my calf. And I have my prababtis vishitya tattooed on my other thigh. Uh, so it's kind of grown to this, like, I'm like a very proud individual of where my bops those came from, um, how hard my parents or my mother specifically worked uh, to come across overseas uh, and basically establish a life. 
Um, it's a lot more to knowing the histories, knowing the, where you came from, the Salahs. Uh, like I'm kind of planning a little, um, I guess, write up with my family that we interview all of our Baptists and Didos just to know where their Baptists and Didos are from, kind of create that timeline and tree. And I never thought I would do that because I hated Ukrainian school. I was like, why can't I just go to play soccer with some of my English friends? But now all my friends are Ukrainian. Every single one of them, my closest friends that I see every single week are all Ukrainian. Um, it's a tough thing to say, what does it mean to be Ukrainian? Because I just am. It's like, like, I'm, like, I think I'm Ukrainian before I'm Canadian, in my eyes. Very profound. <laughs> I think that was a great answer. Um, it's interesting because Dmitra and I have a lot of similarities in terms of how we grew up, but then also a lot of differences. Um, and similar to, to currently how, how things have turned out. Um, I was born in Toronto in Canada, but similarly to Dmitro, my mama is, my mom is from Canada. She is, I guess my grandparents moved to Canada uh, from her side during World War II. Um, meanwhile, my dad uh, is fully born and raised in Ukraine, remembers the Soviet Union and so on. So uh, I'm also this blend of Toronto Lviv, um, and I actually was uh, lucky enough and privileged enough to travel back and forth throughout my, I guess, childhood, teenhood, up until university, um, and be able to spend, at the time, three months uh, in Lviv, three months in Toronto. Um, yes, it's the perfect definition of Ukrainianish. Um, I was able to blend these two identities I think fairly well today. Um, similarly to Dmitra, I have some of my closest friends are Ukrainian and then some of my closest friends are not Ukrainian. Um, and it's interesting because they are very, the non-Ukrainian friends are receptive, uh, sometimes confused, sometimes a little puzzled, but receptive uh, given my background and culture and how I explain it and how I, I guess, push it onto them, um, but they never really rebel against it. Um, and from the Ukrainian side, the Ukrainian friends, it's, yeah, it's a common language we understand in the direct sense of the language, but then also just what it means. Um, and if there's anything that happens in Ukraine or anything that happens in Canada that is concerning Ukraine, it's almost this like half-spoken, we understand each other from half a word. Uh, and it's not something I can really explain. Uh, but it's definitely the sense of home uh, and definitely the sense of identity of I make sense. I am normal <laughs> in a world of, of a lot of unnormal. You, you appreciate the sense of normalcy. Um, and also just, again, going back to history uh, from my dad's side, we definitely have a history of uh, generations that were impacted by the Soviet Union, any, anything pre-Soviet Union, whether this is Holdemar, so the man-made uh, genocide uh, by starvation, anything that had to do with World War II uh, and, you know, having to escape through Austria, Germany, all the way to Canada uh, and so on. So without getting into the details of it all, it's all there. Uh, and I think being Ukrainian means remembering that, learning from that, uh, but then also being able to blend the modern world uh, of diaspora and Ukraine and continuing, as I mentioned before, continuing to build on and continuing to to take the lessons of the past and and continuing on. Yeah. 
Great. Uh, is there anything, lastly, is there anything you want to plug or promote or say, mention anything you want to like talk about <laughs> otherwise? Sign your kids, but speak Ukrainian at home. Is it a call to action? Sign up your kids to join PLOS. <laughs> teach teach your non-Ukrainian friends to speak Ukrainian. They'll try. It'll be funny, but it'll work. <laughs> All right. Um, with that, I think we've concluded the episode. Thank you both of you for, for being on the podcast. Thank you. No problem. Thank you guys for having us. <laughs>